Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Glad you're here this morning. I want to start a new series today that we're going to call um, I Doubt It. Um, And really, this is kind of birthed from a burden from conversations uh, that I've had. And so over the next few weeks, uh, I want us to look at some of the reasons why we doubt. Uh, This is Springwell, so we can be honest. Uh, We all have some some doubts at times. Not doubting necessarily that, that God is real or that he exists, but sometimes I think we can get into these situations in life and we can have some doubts about the way he operates in our life, or if he's really present in our life right now, what he's doing, is he really active right now? So for the next few weeks, I want us to try to answer some of those questions. My, my goal and my prayer has been to give you something different to think about, to give you a new way to kind of wrap your, your doubts. And so we're going to talk about that uh, over the next few weeks. Um, several months ago, um, I was spending time with God, and he said something to me that I didn't necessarily like. Now, let me just say, when a preacher says that God spoke to them, they're not saying he went, hey, Jonathan. <laughs> Wait, that, that didn't sound like God. That sounded more like a serial killer. Anyway, <laughs> like, I, didn't, I didn't hear an audible voice or anything like that, but I just kind of felt it in, in my spirit that he said, Jonathan, what happened to the reckless faith you had in me? And what I think that meant was that somewhere along the line, maybe it was a life situation, maybe it was some some stuff that happened, maybe it was just the busyness that I was experiencing, but somewhere along the line, I had lost focus on who God really was. I had, not that I'd stopped believing in God, not that I had stopped praying or stopped reading my Bible, nothing like that, but I had kind of lost a little bit of spiritual mojo, that I had lost sight of his perfection and his grace and his love and his and his power. And I think we can all, if we're honest, I think we can all get into those, into those spaces, into those seasons of life. Have you ever found yourself there? Maybe at one time you prayed, and when you prayed, you believed it was going to change something, didn't you? And so you prayed, you prayed earnestly, you prayed intently. It was almost like you prayed for somebody, and as soon as you got done praying for them, you called them like, has anything changed yet? Because you believed it that much, right? Or if it was something in your own life, like you you sat down, you prayed, and then you jumped up to see what happened because because of that prayer. But somewhere along the line, maybe it's because God didn't answer it in the way you wanted him to, but somewhere along the line, you kind of lose that that exuberance and that expectation that he has the power to change things on your behalf. Or, Or maybe at one point you... You worshiped, and when you, came into, when you came into church, you worshiped with passion, and you believed what you sang. There's another in the fire. <laughs> maybe you didn't do all that, but maybe you really believed with passion that God, that God was there, that you believed the words you sang, and then somewhere along the line, you just kind of go through the motions. You don't even necessarily even think about the words we sing anymore. You're it's not that you've disengaged completely from God. It's just that stuff's going on and it's starting to make you doubt what you thought about God. Maybe at one time you believed that God was good and that he was present and he walked with you and you felt his presence and you felt that he was with you and you could tell that he did things in your life. But somewhere along the line, 
you just kind of lost track. You lost sight of, of his activity and his goodness and his presence and his grace. You lost focus. And so you started to doubt. Maybe it was something that happened that you prayed for and you prayed and you believed and you wanted him to change something. You wanted him to do something and he didn't. Maybe you prayed for healing. Maybe you prayed for healing for yourself. You prayed for healing for somebody else. Maybe you prayed for their situation or you prayed that somebody, that God would bring you somebody that could, wouldn't make you feel alone anymore. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and he didn't answer. And so now there's these kind of doubts like, God, are you really listening? Do you, do you really, do you really care? Maybe you've begun to have some doubts about just his, his presence in your life. Maybe you, you applied for a job and you thought it was yours. You thought the interview went well. You waited for a call back and it, and it never came. Or maybe you even had a conversation with someone, right, that believed something different than you. And now all of a sudden you're trying to reconcile that in, in, in your mind. The truth is, whether you're a believer in the room today or not, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you will have moments of doubt and you may lose some faith. Today, I wanna preach just for a few minutes, and my title is Without a Doubt. Without a Doubt. I have a message for some people who have felt like I did several months ago. You've lost your spiritual mojo, you've lost your focus, and you have your doubts. I want us to look at a pretty common passage of scripture. Um, If you know much about the Bible at all, you probably know this story. Um, I'll go through it really thoroughly, so if you don't, there's no no worries. but it's found in Matthew 14, and just before, to set up the passage, just before Jesus has multiplied the fish and the loaves. He's fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And of course, we know that the 5,000 people number, that was actually men. If you would have counted everybody there, it could have been anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people. And so on the hills of that, and Jesus performing that miracle with his disciples there with him, we'll pick up in Matthew 14, verse 22. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went on a mountaintop by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So in the book of John, you know, there's different gospels in the Bible. They each tell the same stories, but from a little different perspective. In John's account of this story, we learn why Jesus sent the disciples away. As a matter of fact, we learn that after Jesus had fed the 15, 20,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and two fish, that the people there wanted to make him their king, their earthly king. They had, he knew they were going to start this campaign to install him as their king. There was no spiritual means at all, no spiritual reason at all for them doing that. It was all selfish. They thought, hey, this guy just fed all these people with this little bit of food. Let's make him our king and he'll always take care of our needs. And remember, Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly king, kingship, right? He came to set up a heavenly kingship. And so he knows that as the crowd begins to call for him to become their earthly king, he knows the disciples are going to go along with it and they are gonna get caught up in it. Have you ever had Jesus protect you from you? Have you ever had God be your bodyguard from you? Like, have you ever had him step into your life, move in your life, and he was protecting you, and it wasn't from somebody else, and it wasn't from Satan, it was from you. Some of y'all have prayed for stuff, 
and you have begged God, you have asked God, and he didn't do it. And if he had, it would have taken your life down, wouldn't it? Do you remember maybe in high school when you prayed that you would just date them or you would just marry them? Have you seen their Facebook profile? (laughs) God will protect you. God will protect you. Not just from everybody else, but sometimes God will protect you from you. But we lose sight of that in the moment, right? Because when you were praying for him or her and you didn't get him or her, you thought in the moment that you didn't get what you wanted and maybe God didn't do what you thought he should do, right? We, don't, we never seek God's protection in the moment. God's protection is rarely seen in the moment. Usually, you have to get 5, 10 years, 20, 40, 50. I'll just keep going, 60, 70 years in the past and look back and say, yes, that was God's protection. And so Jesus sends these disciples into a boat to the other side in a storm, and it was for their protection. There are people here today who are doubting who God is. You're doubting his presence in your life. You're doubting his goodness in your life. And it's because you feel let down. You feel like you didn't get what you wanted. You've become apathetic. And now you have doubts. Could it be that God hasn't been withholding something from you, but he's been protecting you? Could it be that what you are perceiving as his inactivity in your life, when you get five 10, 20 years down the road, you will see God was not withholding from me. He was protecting me. Maybe he was even protecting me from me. So Jesus sends these disciples to protect them, but he sends them into a storm. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you would say that today you feel like you're in a storm? I don't mean like a windstorm, a rainstorm, but I mean like a life storm. Like there's something going on around you that you feel like it's beating you up. Like you can't understand it. You can't seem to get through it. It's, it, it, it seems like it's causing you a lot of emotional pain. It's causing you a lot of emotional struggle. How many of you today would th- say that you're in a, in a storm? Maybe it's a financial storm. Maybe it's an emotional storm. Maybe it's a relational storm. Maybe it's a health storm. Storms are tough. And in these storms, it can be easy for us to assume that the storm is a sign that God has left us or even that God is out to get us. Well, God must just be out to get me because it, it keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming. It can it be easy for us to assume when we're in the midst of the storm that God has left us or that he's out to get us because the storms can be lonely and desperate and hard places. Did you know that that is never the case? When you are going through a storm of life, a situation that you want out of, it never means that God isn't active. In fact, it means quite the opposite. If you look, he's working. As you look through the scriptures, as you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you will find is a constant uh, repetition of God being completely 
present in the midst of people's storms. It always is a sign that he is about to show up and he is about to do something. Here comes the storm. Well, God's already there. He's already in it. He's already working. It's never a sign that God's not active. It's quite the opposite. God allows storms into our lives because he's doing something, because he's working something. Maybe he's protecting us. Maybe he's perfecting us. Maybe he's correcting us. Some of you, you have been there. You've made choices. You've made decisions. You've taken a direction in your life. You've gone down a wrong path. And if it wasn't for God sending the storm to turn you around, your life would be in a completely different place today, wouldn't it? But it was because of the storm that made you wake up and realize that I have to change something. God will allow storms in your life, not because he's not interested, not because he's not active, but because he wants to protect, he wants to perfect, and he wants to correct you so that you will follow him and you will be in the best place possible. And that is with him. Maybe you've lived that story where a storm literally saved your life. You didn't like it at the time. You didn't enjoy it. You wanted to, to, to cower in a corner and batten down the hatches as the storm raged. You didn't like it at the time. But if you look back, that was the very thing that changed the course of your life in a better direction. And so it's important that when you look at storms and when you're in a storm, that you don't see them as a sign of God's absence absence. Because if you do, you will be so focused on the storm that you'll lose sight of what he's doing in it. Because you'll feel lonely, you'll feel rejected, you'll feel dismissed. If you focus on the storm and you see that God, you feel like God's not working, it will distract you from who he really is in your life. So get this, Jesus sends the disciples into a storm. And do you notice where Jesus goes? The Bible says that Jesus goes on a mountaintop to pray. Keep in mind, this mountaintop would have been overlooking the lake that they're on. So Jesus doesn't go like I may have and go on the dock and with a pole in the water and laugh at his disciples. Be like, you had that coming. Y'all are about to make me king over there. Y'all know better than that. He wasn't snickering. He wasn't laughing at them as they struggled on this boat. He wasn't saying, yeah, they get what's coming. No, he was, he was praying for them. He was up on the mountaintop above them, praying for them the entire time. If you're in a storm today, you don't have to wonder if God's aware. Because sometimes it feels like that, right? God, are you, if, if you're supposed to be there, are you even aware of how I'm struggling? You never have to worry if, if God's aware. He is there and he cares. He cares about your pain. He cares about your burden. He cares about your needs. And he is interceding and he is working on your behalf. And I need to tell somebody today who is in a storm and you feel like it's always going to rage and it's never going to go away and you are in the midst of it alone. I need you to hear me say that Jesus is working. He is interceding on your behalf and something is about to break. Jesus has been praying for them the entire time. And then he takes action. Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. 
It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, I love this part of the story. Because if y'all ever read something, maybe it's not even the Bible. Maybe it's whatever else y'all read. I don't know why else you would read. But anyway, not a reader. They make a movie. You know, and side note, when people say the movie's not as good as the book, you know that makes no sense to me. It's like if you hadn't read the book, you wouldn't even know that and it wouldn't have spoiled it. Anyway. But do y'all ever get mental images as you're reading? Where like you see something, even, even the Bible, and like you, you kinda, can kind of picture it in your head and you know it's probably wrong and you're not seeing it right, but you still get this mental image and kind of see it? All right, well, let me, I, let me say I. <laughs> Non-responsive. I get these mental images sometimes, and this is the way I see this, this playing out. Kind of like when, when Riley was like three or four and he was playing on a big, big kid playground. And so he'd be like on the monkey bars or something, and I would be standing there because he didn't want me to hold him. But I would be watching him, trying to kind of let him do it himself. But like I was standing there the whole time like this, waiting for him to fall so I could just close my arms. The way I see, the way I see this is Jesus is, is, is parked up on this mountain. He's praying. He sees his disciples on the water. They're struggling. He wants to give them a chance to do it by themselves. And he's in the midst of his prayer when it gets to this point, and he's like, oh, forget this. I got to go. I got to go help my boys. And so he waited until there was no human hope left for them before he interjects himself. Sometimes God will wait until you feel like there's nothing else you can do. There's no human hope left before he interjects himself. Not because he's mean like that, but because he wants you to see how safe you really are with him. When storms come, Jesus always takes action. It may not be how you would expect, but he will always take action. God will always bring somebody into your life at the right time. God will open doors at the right time. God will close doors at the right time. God will rearrange people at the right time. God always takes action in the middle of the storm because he's watching, he's waiting, and he is going to interact at just the right time. So he begins to walk towards them walking on the water. Which, have you ever thought about this? But why did he walk on water? Like, he's Jesus. He's God. He's the creator. Why, why did he feel like he needed to walk on water? I mean, he could have just been there. He could have snapped his fingers. The storm stopped. Other places, he speaks to the storm and the storm stops. He could have flown. Like, he could, he could have automatically just been there with the disciples, but he, but he walks on the water. You ever thought about that? Why? I've thought about it. And as I was thinking, here's why I believed Jesus decided to walk on water. Y'all, y'all ready for this? Y'all aren't ready because y'all are going to clap. Y'all are going to get excited. You might even shout a little bit. There's a lot of white people in this room, but y'all might get really excited. <laughs> here's, why, here's why I believe Jesus walked on the water. Because Jesus wanted to show these disciples, and he wanted to show me, and he wanted to show you that the things that you worry the most about, the things that you are most scared about, he has the ability to walk on top of. I 
I'll say it again because I wanted a better reaction. <laughs> Jesus walks on the water because he wants you to know, he wants me to know that the doubts that you have because you don't think he's working, he's bigger than those doubts. The biggest fears, the biggest struggles, the, the, the biggest anxiety, the biggest stuff you face is nothing more than a staircase for your God. So whatever is causing your pain, whatever is causing your doubt, your, your depression, your loss of hope, when you fully and you can trust Jesus, it becomes his staircase. He's bigger than your issue. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your struggle. He's bigger than your addiction. And he's bigger than your doubt. So he comes towards them walking on water, and the disciples say, ah, it's a ghost. It's the way I, once again, it's the way I picture it. Like if, if they're printing a Bible today, they need a face palm emoji right here. Because how could they not recognize this was Jesus, right? I mean, at this point, they had been around Jesus. They had been around him long enough. They had seen Jesus do miracles. As a matter of fact, the very story before, they had seen Jesus feed 15 or 20,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fish. But how could they not recognize Jesus? And here's why I think. It's because they knew Jesus, but like me, they had lost focus on who he really was, and so they missed him in the moment. And that's some of you today. You know Jesus. You have a relationship with him but you've forgotten who he really is. You thought he was your heavenly Santa Claus. When in reality, he's a loving and compassionate, rescuing God. You thought that the storms would never come. When in reality, his purpose is bigger than your, your comfort. You thought every relationship would go perfectly when in reality, he wants you to have the best relationship with him because that's the best thing for you. Could it be that Jesus has taken action in whatever situation you feel like he's missing, but you're missing it because your doubt is blinding you, because you've lost focus of who he really is? Jesus speaks to them in their doubt, verse 27. It says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then P Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, if you know Peter, you know this isn't really a big surprise. Peter was kind of the emotionally unstable disciple. I mean, literally, one second, he's got his arm around Jesus telling him, I'll never leave you. The next second, he's telling like a little girl, I never knew him because he's scared of her. Peter was... Was, was a little crazy, and that should make us feel better about ourselves, but Peter was a little crazy, and so in the midst of this storm, in the midst of them feeling like they're about to die, the waves buffeting, as the Bible says, the boat coming over the side of the boat, hitting the boat, in the midst of all that, Peter says, hey, Jesus, can I do the party trick too? Hey, Jesus, I know there's chaos. I know it's crazy, but hey, can I, can, can I join in, in some of the fun? And so he steps out of the boat, and he comes towards 
Jesus. Now, I've just made fun of Peter. He's not listening. And we give Peter a lot of flack for this story, right? But you have to give him credit. He was willing to get out of the boat. Right? He was willing to step out of the boat in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the life storm that he was in. My question for you is, will you step out of the boat and believe Jesus is walking on what's worrying you? You see, at this point in the story, this boat is the only comfortable thing Peter has, right? Do you remember Peter's profession? Peter was a fisherman. Peter would have spent more than half of his life in a boat. And so with this storm raging around them, with the wind and the waves and the rain, and with everything else going on, even though the boat wasn't exactly comfortable at that point, it was the only thing he had that, that represented some form of control and some form of, 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 of comfort. And so in the midst of that, he steps out. You know, sometimes our doubt comes because we're holding on to something Jesus has told us to let go of. Sometimes your doubt, you're filled with some doubts about who God is and about where your life is going, and the reason is is because you're still holding on to the insecurity that he's asked you to deal with for the past 20 years. You haven't gotten help, haven't gone to celebrate recovery, haven't gone to counseling, and so now every time something happens in your life, you replay it through your insecurity of rejection from the past. Sometimes our doubts come because we're living in sin. God's told you over and over again, you got to stop that. I love you. I'm compassionate towards you, but you got to stop that. And you wonder why you feel the way you do, and you are associating that with God's absence. It's because you haven't let go. It's because you haven't let go of, of the thing he's asked you to, to let go of, the pain, the pain of the past. Some of you are doubting God because you still feel the pain from something that happened a long time ago because you've never, you've never dealt with it. So Peter lets go of the thing that he was supposed to let's go, let go of and begins to walk on the water. Will you surrender that thing you've been holding on to because of your lost focus and your doubt? Will you take a step out of the boat and trust Jesus with that thing that's way deep down in there that you've always wanted to hold on to? Will you finally trust him with your finances? Be a giver. Will you finally trust him with your kids and let them be kids? Will you finally trust him with that relationship and quit trying to control it and control them? Will you step out of the boat? So Peter actually walks on the water. And then in verse 30 it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Actually, Peter was a fisherman, so there's probably some more words in there that they left out of the scriptures. But he began to, began to scream, Lord, save me. So he literally walks on the water until doubt gets the best of him. But I don't think it was doubt that started it. Doubt wasn't the initial thing that caused him to sink. It was focus. It was, it was his, his focus he started focusing on the wind and the waves more than on Jesus, which led to his doubt, which led to him, him sinking. But you have to ask the question, like, why? Why did all of a sudden did he lose sight of Jesus 
and start focusing on the wind and the waves. Because remember, they had been there for a while at this point. Remember, that was why Jesus had to start walking on the water towards him in the first place. So the wind and the waves, they had, they had been there they had been there for a while. Why did all of a sudden, why did he start noticing the problems and the storm and take his eyes off of Jesus? And for some of you today, your doubt isn't a result of your problems you thought they were, but actually they're a result of your focus. You've been blaming your doubt on what you thought God brought into your life. But you've always had problems, right? Y'all got problems? I got problems. Everybody's got problems. Kids got problems. Teenagers got problems. Adults got problems. Pastors got problems. Mama's got problems. Daddy's got problems. Everybody's got problems. We all got problems. Your problems have always been there. The problem right now is that they have stolen your focus. And you're so busy and concerned about the problem that you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and doubt is beginning to set in. You've become, fo- you've become distracted. Don't we get distracted really easy today? Some of y'all thought you had a great Christmas. You had a few family over, gave away a few presents. Then you saw somebody else's family Christmas pictures on Facebook. And they distracted you, right? Because you thought I had, I had three people in a green bean casserole. But look at the spread they had. And so now what you thought was a great Christmas, now you all of a sudden feel lonely and like a loser because you only had three people in a green bean casserole and a canned ham. We get, we get distracted. We get distracted by other people, by what other people have, by the lives that they live. We, we get distracted by busyness, right? It is completely possible for even the most dedicated follower of Jesus to go through their complete day and never think once about what God could be doing in their life. It's completely possible for somebody who really legitimately loves Jesus to go a week without talking to him. Because you're so busy, you wake up in the morning, got in the bed late the night before, you wake up in the morning, you're late, go straight to work, think, I'll pray later. Go throughout the day, don't think about it then, I'll pray when I get home. You start to pray, you get to dear Jesus and... Don't we get distracted easy? Distraction is the birthplace of doubt. Peter's doubt started because he was distracted. You've always had problems, but you've taken your eyes off of them. You've placed it on the hurt. You've placed it on the complications of your life. And you've forgotten who Jesus was. Was And so instead of pressing into Jesus and seeking after Jesus and answers from Jesus in the storm, you begin to focus on what they said or how it seemed or what you felt like you lacked or what you think God didn't do. Are you focused on something that somebody else got that you thought you deserved? Can I give you some bad news today? Storms and problems will always exist. The only thing you and I can control is our focus. You can't control how they treat you. You can't control a lot of times how you feel. You can't control what happens to your health or to somebody you love's health. The only thing that you can control is your focus. Distraction is the birthplace of doubt. 
That's why your focus is so important and so key. So Jesus has a solution. Praise the Lord. Verse 31 says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? What a loaded question, huh? It's a complicated question. It's a complicated question for Peter here. But it's also a complication for you if you're doubting today. Let me ask you, why do you doubt? Or are you doubt, even doubting God? Or are you doubting yourself and others? Are you even doubting God? Or are you doubting some version of God that you've just come to believe is actually him? Like, for instance, some people do doubt because they thought that God was going to make everything hunky-dory. It's the best word I can think of. Y'all know what I mean. They thought God was going to take care of all the problems. They didn't think there, was, there should be any pain. If God is real, then why does injustice happen? If God, if God is real, why do natural disasters happen? If God is real, why do I feel like this? When in, in the meantime, throughout this book, you never see God promise that storms and tough times don't come. And so sometimes we doubt, and it's not because we're doubting actually who God is. It's because we're doubting the version of God that we've come to believe. So why do you doubt? Peter never answers the question. And I think it's important because this question from Jesus was not a question of condemnation. It was a question of application. It was a question for us to, to figure it out for ourselves. Why do, why do I doubt? Is it, my, is it my lack of focus? Am I so busy focusing on what's against me that I forget to focus on who's with me? So watch this. After Jesus grabs him, it says in verse 32, it says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those, were who, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. It says, they climbed in the boat together. Who is they? Jesus and Peter. Peter walks. Peter gets distracted, loses focus. Peter doubts, begins to sink. Jesus rescues him, pulls him back into the boat beside him. Peter has just had an experience with Jesus that he would have never had without his doubt. Many of you, some of you, were raised in a church where you would think the story would go, so Jesus laughed at him, pushed him in the forehead and said, drown, sucker, drown. You doubted me. But that's not who Jesus is. That's not what your doubt has to do. Your doubt doesn't have to, have to sink you. Your doubt doesn't have to drown you. Your doubt can bring you to a new place in your faith. It doesn't have to end your faith. It can be the beginning of a deeper faith. And so what, what Peter experiences here doesn't just change his life. But did you notice what happened? said the other people begin to exclaim, truly, you are the son of God. And so a storm, Peter's party trick, walking on the water, and a moment with Jesus literally changes so many lives, and it wouldn't have happened without a doubt. So, if you feel doubt today, 
you can go in one of two ways. You can stay in it. You can keep focusing on the storms and the wind and what you think God hasn't done. You can keep being mad at God. You can focus on the problems. Focus on what God isn't doing. Or you can let your doubt move you to step out of the boat and give faith another shot. Knowing that even if you fail, Jesus is standing over the boat ready to pull you back in. Which will you choose? So how do we do it? How do we, how do we step out of the boat? How do we let go of the things we've been holding on to that have been causing our doubts? And how do we step out of the boat? And how do we keep our focus? And, and, and how do I zero in on Jesus? I, I got questions, Jonathan. Let me try to answer some. And I don't have time to completely explain all of these. If, if, if you want to talk about these, I'd be happy. I would love to talk with you. But here's some things that I did a few months ago when I went through that, that season. Number one is I think it's important that you, that you find a verse, something that you can hold on to, something that you can repeat over and over and over again when the doubt comes, when the storm comes. That's why it's important that, that you, that you open, open your Bible and that you, that you read your Bible. Start in the, in the New Testament. Start in the, in the book of John. And just start reading and, and find something to hang on to, something that really speaks to you, something that seems to have a seed in your heart that you can hang on to. It could even be, I'll, I'll even give you one. It could be one of the ones that I just read. It could be verse 33. Then those who were in, in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Maybe that's your verse. But find a verse to hold on to that keeps your focus. When the storm comes, you glance at it, but you come back with your verse. Spend time with Jesus. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to be planned out. Just talk to him a little bit in the morning. Talk to him a little bit in the afternoon. Talk to him a little bit in the evening. Something that I've done is I have a reminder that goes off of my phone a couple of times a day that literally the reminder just says, praise Paul's. And for me, it's just a reminder. Hey, don't forget about the fact that God is good to you today. So I just take 30 seconds and just talk to God for 30 seconds. Maybe I'll think about something he's done. Maybe I'll turn on some music, something that keeps my, my focus. Maybe, maybe you need to fast. A lot can be said about that, but really it's just about giving something up and dedicating time with God. Giving something up that means a lot to you so that you can focus on who God is. Some of you need to make church a priority because this is important, y'all. When we gather in here, something happens in the atmosphere, something happens in our faith inside that we just can't get on our own. You can borrow other people's faith when you're in this room together. And some of you, that's a step. You need to make a commitment to showing up here. If it's not here, there's a lot of great churches. We think this is the best, but there's a lot of great churches. Go somewhere, Let borrow other people's faith, be encouraged by them. It's important. And then find some community, some people around you that when you're having doubts, when you start to see yourself getting unfocused, people that you can talk to, that you can confide in, that will help recenter your focus so that you can keep walking. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's people in the room this morning and your focus is everywhere because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it's like to, to know everything's gonna be okay because you have a relationship with God because 
you're still living for yourself. You're still living in what you've always done. But today you feel like you just have to have an answer. Like you need what I've been talking about. That's Holy Spirit. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's telling you, just, just let me in and, I, and I'll take care of the rest. If you need a relationship with Jesus today and you know that you've, you're a sinner, that you've messed up, that you've made mistakes, just say this prayer. You can, it's not a magic prayer. It's more of just a confession. Just say, God, I'm sorry. But I need, I need to focus on you. I want a relationship with you. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you're worthy of my life. So come into my life. I surrender everything I have as best as I can. I trust you. For everybody else, I want to ask a, you can keep your eyes closed. I want to ask a very pointed question. Do you have doubts? If you have doubts today about maybe it's about what God is doing, maybe it's about God, would you just slip up your hand? pray for you and I want you to commit to being here for the next few weeks as we walk through how how we can deal with those and the fact that Jesus isn't mad at you for it but that he loves you and he wants you to work through them with him God I pray for the hands that went up Lord I pray for every person under the sound of my voice God what I what I've sensed from you throughout the last few weeks is that there's a lot of good hearted people who are just wrestling God, would you please just make yourself known to them. God, I, I declare in the name of Jesus that you are speaking to them, that you are rescuing them, that you are pulling them back in the boat. Lord, I pray for the people who are having a hard time trusting you again. God, that they would let go of the boat, that they would, they would step out, and that they would trust you, and they would believe that you are who you say you are. God, restore our faith. God, thank you for what you're going to do. God, thank you for the honor and the privilege to teach your word. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to people long after I say amen. Thank you for your love, your grace, your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.